Mosaic Brief 1. Welcome to the first brief meant for easier listening, easy production, and more accessible appreciation. Part of the reason normal episodes take so long is because I try to provide you with synthesis and analysis after exhaustive research and reflection. But that dampens some of the discussion and a lot of interesting and raw ideas get left out of the episodes because I don't have the time or the space to develop them. So the aim is to provide some quick, short bursts of something curious to think about. We'll see. There's no format. This is an experiment. And some orderly part of me wants to contain and connect things to wait for a more cohesive commentary, but I'm trying to make a conscious attempt to get out of my comfort zone and be less comprehensive. So for our inaugural episodes, bottom line upfront, five topics for consideration. One, checklist Superman. Two, Bendis retconning Superman's origin. Three, living a thousand lives. Four, discussing I don't have to save you. And five, super speed in Justice League. So I was struck by the idea in episode 58 that chewing on the material yourself is irreplaceable. And if that's the case, then my survey episodes may be doing you a disservice because I'm doing all the mastication, going so far as to grind it into a fine paste of exhaustively analyzed matters. So maybe I should talk less and you chew more. Maybe I should just provide the prompts instead of the conclusions. Maybe a more Socratic approach and less synthesis and answers already arrived at. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> so let's try this out. and Maybe you'll find it interesting or stimulating to seek the answers yourself. Or maybe this falls on its face and fails. And that's okay, too. Let's learn together. <laughs> so number one, checklist Superman. In the episode 58, I use this in a derogatory sense, which I think is sometimes fair. Even so-called positive stereotypes can tick us off, because they amount to somebody not knowing you and making assumptions instead of knowing you. Maybe about where you come from, your musical tastes, your talents, your beliefs, or your nature. Can you think of some assumptions that people make about you? And it's the assumption that hurts, because they might be factually right, but it bothers because they assumed before bothering to actually know. And that's how Superman exists for much of the public before they connect with the character. He exists on just this side of character for the average person. And that's okay. Not every fictional character has to have a rich life in the mind of every person. But if you're listening to this, you're probably a Superman fan, so I wonder, what do you think Checklist Superman looks like, and how does he differ, if at all, from the character you've come to know? How long do you think the collective checklist for Superman is? How much is up for grabs, or non-negotiable? And how does that differ from your more personal understanding of the character? And how does that differ, if at all, from your ideal checklist of the character. That's a bunch of prompts to ponder, and they could be as trivial as Superman wearing shorts on the outside of his costume, or something as solemn as his American citizenship. I think I've talked about the shorts before, so I'm not going to ramble on about them here, except to say that Brian Michael Bendis recently revealed that they're going to be making their return in the comics, and that internally, DC was divided on the issue with fierce factions on either side of the debate. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for those arguments. I wonder what they were. Regarding citizenship, I'm going to add to my confession from episode 58 that learning David Goyer was writing Man of Steel concerned me before seeing the film. Why? In 2009, the Milestone Action Comics 900 was an all-star anthology of short stories, including one by Goyer entitled the incident. It's now infamous for the shocking announcement that Superman was renouncing his U.S. citizenship before the United Nations. And that annoyed and offended me, not out of national pride or some insistence that Superman stay American. 
I was incensed that, one, Goyer would hijack a milestone issue and news cycle with such a sensationalistic move, and two, that the legal and logistics of the move made no sense within the story, meaning that it was entirely about making a statement, to me at the time, shock value at the expense of story. I have always been obsessed with logical consistency and reality, and if Goyer was going to introduce citizenship into the story, then it had to have the effect intended by Superman within the story for the statement to make sense, which it didn't. The fundamental issue with the renunciation is that citizenship must have started out as a gift in order to smooth over Superman's otherwise extra-legal or outright illegal activity inside the states. It's not like Superman has a birth certificate that says Superman. It would take a special act of Congress or a presidential proclamation to make an obvious alias or entity like Superman an honorary citizen of the United States based on exceptional merit failing to qualify by birth or naturalization. Winston Churchill, for example, was granted this honor. So it's a gift meant to honor the relationship and enable him the legal rights and benefits of citizenship. So to illustrate why this makes no sense, let's say you give your significant other the key to your home. It's a gift to honor and show the significance of the relationship. It confers legal and logistical access for entrance and egress, right? So your SO can come and go as they please. Emotionally, your home is their home. And certainly the key, their coming and goings, and how you hold yourself out as a couple will give others the impression that you're in a relationship. That impression or picture might change if, in fact, your SO is also polyamorous. They have keys all around the community. They come and go as they please everywhere, but maybe they spend a little more time with you than with others. So now let's say that the SO is worried that the others in the community will think that you and they have a stronger bond, a more special relationship than with the rest. Already, the people that worry about that are absurd and rather irrelevant. The fact is, the SO is everywhere as a matter of community record. Everyone has shared their keys with them. So why would your SO let their behavior be dictated by the concerns of the absurd? Nonetheless, your SO decides to call a community meeting, and in a big show for the absurd, they return your key and break up with you in front of everyone. Okay, so maybe that makes the statement that they want right then and there. But it's weird, right? Because your SO still has the keys of everyone else's house. But to make it weirder still, the SO is still spending most of their time in your house. Only now they're doing it after they broke up with you publicly and after they returned your key. So they have to break into your house each time. So does this make the SO more community-minded and less associated with you? No, that's an absolutely ridiculous situation. And the idea that Goyer might write something like this for a feature film chilled me to the bone. But imagine my surprise and delight when Man of Steel was one of the most logically consistent superhero films. You know what? Scratch that. One of the most logically consistent science fiction films that I've ever watched. Okay, from one writer to another... Topic two, Brian Michael Bendis is taking over Superman comics, soup to nuts starting in Action Comics 1000, leading into a new miniseries entitled Man of Steel and writing both main titles for the time being. Last week, he gave an exhaustive two and a half hour interview on the Word Balloon podcast. Check it out. And it's funny that they're already doubling up and diluting the Man of Steel moniker on another miniseries seed change, which is a little like what happened when they went to that crisis well so many times that old milestones like pre and post crisis became less meaningful. <laughs> But that's me nostalgic for how things used to be. Having to append an extra syllable or two to clarify my meaning is no skin off my nose. <laughs> I'm already off topic. This is great. This format is not going to work for me. <laughs> 
What was I talking about? Right. Okay. Um, one of the interview takeaways was that Bendis intended to revisit and retcon Superman's origins in a way that will change him forever. And I don't think he means something like the divide between Spidey's mechanical or organic web shooters, but something maybe a little more thematic, psychological, or character-based. Maybe. Minor spoilers ahead, but Bendis also says that the antagonist will be Kryptonian, and that interestingly, he wants to walk back the messianic Superman and reinforce a more mosaic Superman based on his own Jewish faith. And that provides two prompts to talk about. First, who do you think the new Kryptonian character is? And second, what do you think about the more Moses approach? I'm not sure how heavy-handed Bendis is in terms of allegory. He's so prolific, it's all kind of a blur in my head, but I've read maybe most of his stuff up to like 2012 or 2013. I vaguely recall Scarlet being like really blunt and not particularly subtle, but I can't really think of any symbolism in his work. For example, when Bendis approached the Sentry, he seemed to take any sort of allegory of mental illness off the table and simply manifested it literally. But this isn't really fair. I'm talking about some fuzzy memories from like four or five years years ago. So, but what I'm getting at is that the defining biblical story of Moses is the Exodus, right? So if you're going to add another Kryptonian character to the canon and set it within that story, who could it be? Is it Pharaoh? Is that too obvious? Or is it Aaron, his long-lost Hebrew brother? What character from the Exodus story do you think a Kryptonian could slot into? Consider their implications on the mythology. What do you think Bendis wants to say about Krypton or Superman? For me, on the more Moses approach, I'm open to it if it isn't just factual flag planting, because those never really seem to go anywhere. In episode 58, I talk a lot about variants getting tossed onto the continuity pile and forgotten, and that's how I feel about Jeff John's secret origin. That was another attempt at a definitive origin that basically amounts to a checklist of continuity-specific changes without any sort of transcendent takeaway to affect the mythos. I use the kinder, gentler, CBS Ruby Spears Superman, which I love, by the way, as my example within the episode. It's about as safe and solid a rendition of Superman as you'll ever get, but it's almost entirely forgotten. So a Moses approach has the benefits of putting the emphasis back onto Superman as a flawed mortal man instead of a divine paragon. Moses was a murderer. He wasn't a great public speaker. He had trouble managing the Israelites. He had a mean streak when he would get mad, which was kind of often. And he returns the focus on a marginalized and oppressed people on the verge of greatness. But there is also a lot to Superman taking notes from Jesus, which Siegel and Schuster also intended from the very beginning. And that's another topic for another time, but there is plenty of solid evidence that's better than the main Moses argument that they were Jewish. So, of course, Superman was intended to be Jewish to the exclusion of all other influences. Really? So these well-read young men, who take everything from everything else that they read and knew of and know, from Greek mythology to obscure sci-fi, and to citations to the New Testament in interviews, and they would include all of this into their creation, except the predominant mythology of their time, place, and culture? <laughs> well... Like I said, we'll get into my research on that another time. Back on track, a divinity, of course, talks about power, goodness, holiness, sacrifice, and resurrection, but it lacks the human flaws and the essential violence of a fleshed-out Superman. So one more prompt on this before I move on. As interesting as Moses is as a character, his story is ultimately somewhat terminal. Whereas Jesus has an anticipatory and eternal quality, the two are summed up in their two central settings aspired to. The Promised Land 
versus kingdom come. Moses ends up being the guy to take them out of Egypt, but he never gets to cross into the promised land. Applied to Superman, that's like being the progenitor, but never progressing. You show the world, hey look, this is what comics can be. Look at this new ideal. Imagine the superhero. However, you serve only as inspiration for all the rest, and you don't get carried into the future. You show them the promised land, but you don't get to cross into it. You stay in the past, stay on your side, and your story ends. And to be frank, that's absolutely the case with most innovative groundbreakers. In that regard, Superman is the exception that proves the rule. Most times, the very first example of a thing, the first thing to demonstrate the idea, the first thing to show the way, isn't still going, relevant, or around at the time of the most modern iteration. However, with Jesus, he preached about the kingdom of God, and instead of being barred access, instead he's presented as the bridge to it. He's the one that's going to bring it in the second coming. That's why he's called the way. Applied to Superman, the narrative is, hey look, this is what comics can be, and I'm going to keep showing you the way. Despite an unfair reputation as a fixed conformist, Superman has been a countercultural revolutionary all along. When everyone else was doing detective stories, he spawned the superhero. When everyone stayed in the silos of their medium, he went multimedia and spawned a merchandising market. When everyone sold graphic content that subjected them to the Inquisition, he conformed and survived. When everyone tried to tell old adult stories as always, he sold sci-fi fantasy safe for the family and survived. When everyone else kept their continuity going, he would break it, reboot, reset, revive, and resurrect. When everyone else at DC was written and created by the old guard, he was revived by a Marvel darling John Byrne. When everyone else was grim and gritty, Superman stood by a more standard telling which was then elevated. When everyone else never talked about comics in moral or spiritual terms, Superman ran towards it head first. And when everyone else was doing fun and four-quadrant films, Superman made a serious adult one. When everyone else was doing the accessible origin film, Superman did an arcane versus one. Superheroes took off after Superman. They were big business, they survived the 50s, and set the standard for the 60s and the countercultural 70s to respond to. The airy Super Friends and silly Batman 66 came from his template. Superman's continuity tends to act as boundary lines for the entire DC line, and setting the precedent for the reboot has made them the norm in contemporary comics. The 90s were all about the grim, gritty, and extreme, and Superman could have gone that way, but by going and being different, he ended up becoming the definitive antithesis of the anti-hero. No one truly talked about superheroes in terms of inspiration in those days, except for Superman. And now, you can't finish a documentary or a survey on modern superheroes without ending on that note. Man of Steel helped make experimental superhero fare acceptable film and TV fodder. The Russo brothers have said that they couldn't have made Civil War to their specifications if it weren't for BVS. All of this reaching and gushing is to say, I don't necessarily want to see them take Superman backwards or confuse his endurance as conservative. To me, he always seemed a little rejected, a little refused, because he's always a little ahead of his time. His predictions unheeded as he's making them, but wholly adopted a little later never quite receiving acknowledgement as a trendsetter. Truly, I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. <laughs> I hope that in Bendis recapturing his heritage as he sees it, that Superman continues to be a man of tomorrow. <laughs> I think I ended up squeezing 10 prompts into one. I am cheating. I can't help it. What question are we on? Only number two. Okay, yikes. <laughs> I am editing all of this out. Come on, let me fly through these then. Okay, number three, the third one, is inspired by this clip. 
I guess the thing with Superman is that he, before he really gets his costume or before he knows who he's supposed to be, his Earth father told him basically, you have to choose the moment that you're going to stand up in front of the human race carefully. And so the problem is he's still compelled to help people. He doesn't know how not to do that. And so every time he saves someone or lifts up a bus or does something heroic or impossible, people are suspicious. And so he has to move on. You know, he has to like disappear. And so on his journey to find himself, he has to like be away from people and, and not reveal his identity. And I think that that journey though does make him stronger in the end because he was able to sort of live a thousand lives during those times. And it's also inspired by the PBS TV documentary host Rick Steves who champions travel, which I think will expand your empathy. I was going to list all 10, but I know that's going to take me over time. So let's see. Um, (laughs) There's so much wisdom here. It's hard to choose. Um, Well, let me read this one. Quote, be open to understanding controversial activities. Get a French farmer's take on foie gras. Ask a Spaniard why bullfighting still thrives and why it's not covered in the sports pages, but in the arts section of the paper. You don't have to like their answers, but at least try to understand it. End quote. Okay, and then he wraps up with his 10th point, uh, quote, make a broader perspective your favorite souvenir. Share an expanded viewpoint. Travel shapes who you are. Weave favorite strands of other cultures into the tapestry of your life. Live your life as if it shapes the world and the future. Because it does, believe that you matter. Then make a difference. End quote. I love that. Uh, You can apply that to yourself. You can apply that to Clark and Man of Steel. As Snyder says, he's lived a thousand lives. So he has this broad base of life experiences to draw from and empathize. So he's been challenged and he experienced so much. And he's also led this humble existence, which would be all too easy to suppress or ignore. I mean, if all he's doing is baiting traps and bussing tables, then maybe he doesn't matter. Maybe he can't make a difference, but, but he doesn't have a false humility. He doesn't confuse what he's doing with his being, and he holds tight to his father's promise of destiny, answers, and meaning, a world-changing existence. And he keeps it even 16 years after Jonathan passes away. So what's the prompt? Um, I don't know. Think back on your travels, your jobs, and try to remember how those took you out of your comfort zone, challenged you, confused you, and showed you something new. And if you can't think of anything, well, start planning a trip or a gig that will. Finally, what kinds of ideas would you like to see Superman import or export? For example, Clark is often seen as bringing rural farm values to the big city. All right, next, next, next. We got to move. We got to move. Okay, four. <laughs> this one's fun. I, I, I'm i really jealous about this one. Um, in fact, I want to take this one apart and dissect it for ages. <laughs> but uh, I said I didn't want to chew on Justice League, and that's true. But uh, this is or can be more of a meta-analysis. and. Um, And I I leave this up to you. There's a million different ways to tackle this one. Basically, I haven't seen Justice League in months, um, but I believe there's almost... There's almost a full minute between the parademons turning on Steppenwolf and his exit from the story, right? So meanwhile, all the superheroes are just standing around and allowing it to happen. And I have to assume that they believe that the parademons are going to end Steppenwolf because otherwise he's escaping, right? He's 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 killed Amazons, Atlanteans, uh, Star Lab employees, and more. And he's this eternal immortal with extraterrestrial tech that lets him teleport at will. So I don't think we're supposed to take it as him getting away, right? That the Justice League are allowing that injustice, right? 
So instead, he's defeated, right? His doomsday device is undone. His axe is destroyed. He's damaged. And his minions have all defected and intend his death. Superman is overwhelmingly stronger than him and capable of containing him. So the Justice League is just standing around and watching the execution of this sentient and sapient being. And the audience is absolutely okay with it. (laughs) Now, I'm not necessarily saying that they shouldn't be. But your prompt for number four is to compare and contrast the demise of different enemies in these DC films and to figure out what the audience will accept and why. When do they object and why? Is there a reason that we don't think that Superman is perfectly capable of saving, containing, and bringing to justice Steppenwolf in JL? But then why do all those critiques then turn around and come to bear in Man of Steel? What does that say? What does that mean? Ah, <laughs> oh, I really want to do this one. There's already got to be a ton of work already done on, you know, that Batman's Begins scene where I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. And especially if you mix this in with ethics and philosophy, like our inconsistent feelings and behaviors and the trolley problem, or we can do some Kantian double effect analysis. Uh, never mind. I'm going to zip it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I hate the concept of this format. What am I doing? <laughs> Okay, five, five, number five. We may make this out of live, fifth and final. Another fun one, if you're like me, you like to catalog and quantify feats, and in Justice League, we've got a lot of them, especially as they pertain to super speed. So your prompt is to do just that. Comb through JL and look at Wonder Woman zipping around Calculate the speed it takes for Barry to do the defacing that he does. Figure out by going frame by frame how fast their frame of reference is in the infamous side-eye scenario. It ought to be calculable since acceleration due to gravity is a fixed known constant. Then, once you've got your mountains of data faxed and figures, it's time to apply that and derive the implications. You're going to go through the film and start to break it because these feats aren't consistent and their motivations don't line up with their abilities and so on. And then, if you can, you go the next step and you either try to come up with an apologetic to fix it or a philosophical framework to justify it. Now, is that all possible? Is it worth the effort? Why or why not? What are the implications of super speed in superhero fiction? As a Flash fan and a Superman fan, these are among my favorite topics to think about. And maybe, maybe you'll enjoy it too. Okay, I would do it myself, but like I said, I'm not buying Justice League anytime soon. But thanks for putting up with this. I'm sure it was wholly unsatisfactory and a frustrating experiment. I mean, the nerve of that Man of Steel Answers guy to record nothing but a bunch of burning questions without answers. Questions are the opposite of answers. What are you doing? (laughs) Oh man, I don't even have a sign off. You're the answer, son.